All right, everybody grab a seat and we'll get, uh, we'll get rolling. Tonight's a meaty night. I'll apologize in advance. It can be an uncomfortable topic. The encouraging part would be I think this will be the most uncomfortable of the stuff we'll cover. We'll get into all that. But uh, Robert, would you open us with prayer? Last week we started talking about our call, and we ended up talking about stuff. And we ended up hearing a bunch of silly stories about silly things. Um, most of them my silly stories, the silly things I've done. And, uh, and you think, well, that is a long way away from talking about Jesus. Why are we not talking about the blood of Jesus? Why, why are we talking about stuff? Well, that's part of where we're going. Tonight will be kind of the last night where we're just immersed in, in the, the stuff aspect of that. But uh, just to recap kind of where we were at, uh, last week we started off, we talked about our call. So uh, the, the quick recap on our call was that we are to follow and obey. That's the super short version of, uh, of what we're called to do. Yeah, we talked, we hit follow and obey. That was uh, the quick summary. Now, again, we could take our call in a lot of different places, but even most of the places that our call goes to tie back to following and obeying. So I just thought tonight I'd pass out uh, a couple of uh, uh, scriptures here regarding following and obeying. First one's uh, Mark 8. Uh, anyone like to read that? Right, right. So that's the first reference to following. That we're, I mean, that, that's a core. This is Jesus talking. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is, this is, this is what it is to follow uh, at a core level there. These quick notes here, uh, the first one is just a raw definition of, just a true definition of deny. To deny, first definition is to affirm that one is no acquaintance or connection with something. Second, to forget oneself, lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. Now, think about how big these words are we're talking about. The, uh, to forget oneself and one's own interests. We're not going to chase. We're not going to go into this super deep tonight. But this is this is the pool we're heading into, is this this concept of denying ourselves, and that ties out to why this series is called the depth of our call, instead of what's your call. Okay, it's about the depth. The depth. The depth is the magnitude, right, of of our call. the The thing we're the thing we're going to be talking about. In other words, we've answered what's our call, basically. I mean, the global universal call. Uh, this, what this series is really about is understanding magnitude, magnitude of our call, but magnitude is going to be a key word that we'll have up on the board kind of every week, and there's going to be a few words that we're going to look at for their magnitude. What I mean by that is the word I'm going to put down right here under magnitude, the first one we'll hit will be deny. Now, we're not going to go into that in great detail tonight, but like I say, we're, we're, we're on a path to head towards the pond of understanding what, this, what denial is, and it's a very, very deep pond and understanding, like, wow, what are all these things, what are all these things we're, uh, we're talking about? So anyway, this, this is just falling out so far. We're just recapping. Last week, we get follow and obey. That second note here, uh, to bear the cross is to accept the rejection of the world for turning to Jesus and following him. Discipleship involves a death that is like crucifixion. That's a note off of Bible.org. It's the same thing. 
So that's, that, that's an, those are easy words to say. Oh, sure, I accept the rejection of the world. What? what? I mean, do you, do you see the magnitude of this, this concept? This, this place we're heading is an is a, is a amazing, deep, scary, huge place with words of magnitude that are, that are, that are just incredible. Uh, the next one, uh, the first John quote. Would someone like to read that? Right. Pretty straightforward. We know that we have... We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Uh, guess what the second magnitude word will be? Obey. We won't really get into that much tonight at all, but again, we're just going to start, start accumulating these, and these will be things that just, like, it's easy to say, oh, I obey his commands. Okay, that would change everything about your life in every way all the time. Okay, that's a big that's a big thing, and and so we'll get into that. But just just kind of right now, we're still just kind of recapping how we got here from last week. So is it our, last week said our call is to follow and obey, and we ended up talking about things. Well, what's the connection between following and obeying and things? I think Mark four, this Mark four passage, uh, does a pretty good job with that. Um, so connecting, following, and obeying and things. Who would like to read Mark four? Right. So we're talking about. The good soil, bad soil, the seductiveness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word. So a desire for other things can choke the word straight up. That's, that's the connection between following, obeying, and things and how we got to talking about Tozer. So that uh, takes us back into uh, uh, the pursuit of God from Tozer. We're going to keep following up kind of where we were. If you remember last week, I talked about Tozer ramping up and how he, 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 he doesn't just tell us, hey, here's something you want to hit. But this is chapter two in this book. There's a chapter titled The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And that's, the, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. That's what we're talking about last, last week. I mentioned then, even chapter one in this book is ramping up to this point, what he calls the tyranny of things. He ramps up to this. It's this huge thing. A couple of you guys are uh, first times here tonight, so let me you let me go back and kind of start this ramp up just to see how many times Tozier just he's, here's where we're going, here's where we're going. This is a big deal. This is a really big deal. Wow, we've really got to get this down. You got to get this. Here it is. Our woes began when God was forced out of His central shrine, and things were allowed to enter within the human heart. Things have taken over. You aggressive usurpers fight among themselves for first place on the throne. So you starting out. This is not a mere metaphor, but an accurate analysis of our real spiritual trouble. Then he has talks about within the human heart is a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, to always possess. It covets things with a deep and fierce passion. It keeps going. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. God's gifts now take the place of God, and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. He's not even close to done. Talking about our self-life and that we must repudiate it. And the next thing, the way to deeper knowledge of God is through the lonely valleys of soul poverty and the abnegation of all things. Abnegation is the word of the day. The, uh, that's just uh, the word means... Just total, total denial. You're just giving up, walking away from all things. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated every external thing. Keeps going. Let me exhort you to take this seriously. 
It is not to be understood as mere Bible teaching, to be stored away in the mind. It is a marker on the road to greener pastures. We dare not keeps going, skips it. We dare not try to pass it if we would follow in this holy pursuit. We must ascend one step at a time. If we refuse one step, we bring our progress to an end. Okay, so he sees he sees this tyranny of things. This whole book is he's ramping up right to this big this this giant task that man has to deal with. Everyone has to deal with it. It's part of us, it's wired in us, and it's big and bad. And it's ugly. A couple of pages later, there can be no doubt that this possessive clinging to things is one of the most harmful habits in the life. Because it is so natural, it is rarely recognized for the evil that it is. But its outworkings are tragic. Because it is so natural, it is rarely recognized for the evil that it is. But its outworkings are tragic. How do we know that it's so natural? Is he exaggerating? If it's that bad of a thing, is he exaggerating how natural this state is for us, our, our love of things? Think he's exaggerating at all? It's in there. It's universal, right? It's universal. This is, this is how we are wired. This isn't anything. So this isn't, like, this isn't like you got a buddy with a pet sin. Brother John, we need to talk. I know about your pet sin. We need to go. No, this isn't that. This is universal. That's why you get to... This, there, there's no one in here this doesn't apply to. It applies in different degrees, but this isn't, this isn't like pet sin. This is our nature. This is how we are. Tozer sees it as step one. We've got to fix this. It's, the book is called Pursuit of God. Step one is this is the first thing you've got to do. There is no point. If you miss one step, if you miss this first step, there is no more pursuing. It's over. This is the first step. Now, how it impacts each of us is different. Some of us will be bitten worse than others. Um, there's different points of our lives we're bitten. bitten. There's um, a whole bunch of stuff like that. But it's still, it's still just this, uh, this, giant, uh, this giant thing that we have to deal with. So jumping back in, where we left off last week, I mentioned regarding things, there's kind of three categories, I would call them. Of, uh, uh, of our issues with things. Uh, the first one, I'm calling the pride of things themselves. The second one is our reliance on things. And the third one is things as our self-image. In other words, who I am is impacted by things, by the things I have and the things I don't have impact my, my actual things as our self-image. They're our self-identity. Personally, I think these are ramping up in seriousness. In other words, um, I think the pride of things themselves, we'll talk about it some more, that's just things like, I, I like my expensive watch. My expensive watch is more expensive than Paul's watch, and that makes me slightly cooler than Paul. All right? That's a pride in the thing itself. And that can get, even that can get a lot uglier than that. We'll go into that more. But I think that's the phase 1A. And we've got to be able to, to recognize that. Again, knowing how universal this situation is, figuring out, okay, well, gee, uh, I need to deal with this. I need to, I need to scratch that. Uh, the next thing, the reliance on things, and we'll get into that in more detail. 
uh, just a second. The, uh, the reliance on things is that's when I start to see these things. I'm not just enjoying them too much. I'm not just measuring myself and thinking I'm cooler than, than, than Paul uh, because of the thing. I am relying on this thing more than God. I'm relying this thing for, for me just to even exist. I am scared to death about losing this thing that I, that I have. The, uh, that's the second thing. And then the third thing, again, things as our, as our self-identity. Our self-identity, that's kind of a com- combination of all this stuff. Um, Paul actually gives us a really good example, uh, and that's probably the, the, the deepest one. Now, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of things we have to deal with even past this, but just regarding these, uh, let's jump in. So back to the top category, pride of things themselves. Something happens, one core event happens in each of our minds when we when we have a thought, before we have, you can call it pride, you can just call it liking things too much. But I mentioned uh, my fancy watch, and Paul doesn't have a fancy watch. Therefore, I'm cooler than Paul. Something happens that starts the process where the train jumps the tracks. What's, that, what's the thing that happens? We can even spiritualize that and say my spiritual gift is better than her spiritual gift. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is broad stuff. Oh, we're foul in so many ways. We, we, we can't even imagine all the ways we can be, we can be foul uh, with, uh, with this stuff. The, um, think about it. Think about anything that uh, uh, the thing, just the things aspect, things you might be proud in, um, cars, your house, clothes, watches, just, you know, just this. I mean, we'll stick with the really, the, the sillier stuff first. Um, what for you for you to have that that prideful thought what's the what's the first thing that happens in your brain that uh where the where the train jumps the tracks you know you're considering better than the other right and what's the core back it up one more notch yeah comparison you've com- you you've compared in your mind you've made a comparison and you won that makes you cool, right? No, whatever it is, that makes it, it. It wouldn't have to be. I don't mean an explicit thought. Like I'm not literally thinking. I think I'm cooler than Paul because because I have a, a better watch. It's not that bad. I mean, it, I mean, in other words, it's not that ridiculous, but it's it's more insidious at the same time because you put all these things together and you actually are kind of these these impact the way you feel about yourself, the impact the way you think about somebody else. All of these things begin with a comparison. Somewhere you're making a comparison. You're comparing your stuff to someone else's stuff. You're comparing it. What's, anyone have any examples uh, you can think of like that where you can, you can see, uh, yeah, wow, that's rough. I'm not going to raise my hand and say, wow, that guy, I would never do that if I was in a situation like that. Oh, man, we'd all be all over that. You know, you'd, you'd uh, that's, that's, uh, uh, I mean, that's, uh, that's a natural part of that. It starts pretty early, too. Huh. Yeah, it does. Actually, I'm really glad you mentioned that because one of the things I want to talk about is the true folly of so many of these things. And if you want to see true folly in comparisons, hang out with a seven-year-old 
Because a seven-year-old may come home from school upset that, oh, fill in the blank. I mean, it can just be, it can be anything. Susie said her hair is too striped. You'd be like, what? Like, yeah, Susie, Susie said my hair was striped. Your hair's not striped. Well, no, Susie said it was. And you just can't, you're just like, where do you go with that, right? Because it's just, it's just, this is kid stuff. And you, and you see these things. And, oh, um, the next day, uh, Bob, Bobby said, I'm making up names. Bobby says his pinky toe is the longest pinky toe in the kindergarten class or something. You know, and you have these things and you're like, that is like, What? And he's proud of it, you know, or something, you know, or or in the next day it'll be maybe maybe he's ashamed of it. Oh no, my, you know, and just these the the silliness that you see come out of them, and it actually it does it goes back. It shows you how we're wired, man. That also brings up there's one psychological step before before we even compare. You know what the one thing that happens before we even compare? We care. Okay, we care, and the kids is a great example of that, because why would you care about who's, I don't know, but somebody said their pinky toe was longer than my pinky toe, or my pinky toe is deformed, and I'm, now I'm, my life is over as a six-year-old, because, right? Do you see this stuff? They care. So, just caring. Now, the good news is, there's no way that adults care about silly stuff, right? Because that's all. <laughs> no, no there's no, no, there's no way at all. There's no way at all that would be possible. There's no way we get silly about, about different things. There's just, there's just no way that uh, magazines try to sell us stuff to make us feel better about ourselves um, using the pictures they've carefully chosen to tell us exactly how we need to feel about ourselves. But there's not entire industries based on that, right? Yeah, no, not at all. No, I'm just making this stuff up. I'm not, I'm not trendy enough to know what the current fashions are, but, but I'm old enough to know that whatever is fashionable today, by definition, will not be fashionable down the road. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fashion. That's not how it works. That's not what it is. We have entire industries built on things that are temporary, and not just temporary, arbitrary, someone, somewhere, either decides or tells us these are now the new things. Now, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's right. You are old enough, you may remember this. A few years ago, I threw away my leather ties. That was a very, very short window of fashion. And I was, happened to be the right age at the right place, and I had a few leather ties. And I don't know what that was, like 1982 or something. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a, uh, when you start to see anything that's temporary, anything that's by definition trendy, the word, what's the word trendy mean to us? Trendy means cool. No, it means temporary. That's what the word means, right? I mean, that's, that's, you, can, you can take it this way or that, but that, that's what these things mean. Now, that's just one aspect of this. But when it comes to 
expensive houses, expensive cars, like other things we can be prideful about of things and be wired in pretty deep, those aren't even, those aren't even trends. Trends just one part of that. Let me give you a couple more examples. They're just fun examples. I think they're fun of true folly in things. I was telling Braxton one on the way over here. Uh, when I got my uh, first big promotion, I went out and I bought myself a $500 watch. And this had been long enough ago. That was, that was probably like, probably like a thousand dollar watch today or something. And it was a brand you'd recognize. Now it also, it wasn't, this is not a big deal. This isn't like a big brand you'd recognize. It's not one of those. It was just 500, not 3,000 or something. But, uh, Stellan Braxton, it was the first watch I ever owned that you couldn't see in a dark room. It didn't have, the, the hands were not, didn't have the little glow spots on them at all. Okay? $500 and I can't tell the time in a movie theater. I remember thinking, this is just, this is just God telling me, no, no. You know, I mean, I couldn't even enjoy it. You couldn't, it just looked like this, just, just a piece of folly, right? Like, this is ridiculous. So I was, you know, I was thankful for that. Took care of the, uh, took care of the, uh, the watch thing. So there's a, there's a lot of silly stories about things. That's all great. Um, what about the bigger things? bigger things that we end up caring about, because uh, I'm sure, again, nobody, nobody else in here has that. I'm sure that was just me being silly. Trendy food. Oh, man. Right. Trendy food. So trendy that they don't even have any thorough studies on if it's actually even good for you or not yet, because that would, that would make, you, uh, uh, make you not want it. There's even trendy words. Are you aware of this? I'm just trend. This isn't about a thing. And this, this ties back to the trendy food. On a lot of the same trendy food websites, they will have they will be selling you trendy products, but those products they're not just products. They're gonna make enough words. They've been curated for you. Have you seen that? Just like museums have curators, stores now they don't just sell stuff. They curate stuff. Oh, Joy, I want you to know we picked these things out especially for you. This, and you're like, well, that's amazing. Well, that's better than just buying stuff. They're curating stuff. That's amazing. What a store. I want to buy my stuff from them. So another aspect of the folly of things. Let me, let me share another example. And this is starting to get a little more serious because this is starting to get a little, this is uglier, I think. This is this really scared me um, about myself. You remember the big hailstorms about a little over a year ago? We had, there's two different giant hailstorms a couple weeks apart. This was the night of the one that turned out did a lot of damage to our roof. The hailstorm has, has gone. We've survived. Uh, I think the roof is okay at that point, which really makes this story funny because I don't know that my roof has just been destroyed at this point, but I'm not worried about my roof. So the hail has finally passed. I've come out. I'm running towards my truck. I grab a flashlight. I grab a flashlight so that I can examine the finish. Okay, And I say a serious prayer to God. I pray to God that my truck would not have hail damage. And I say that prayer with like a, oh, dear God. And I mean that prayer. And God opens my eyes. To be, I can already see that like the windows aren't blown out on my truck by the hail. Right? There is no reason in the world that my truck would be mechanically different in any way. Okay, 
but I love the Lord, He loves me, and I have the capacity to pray to Him to not let small superficial pings impact the paint and the sheet metal on the covering of my vehicle. And God just catches me in the middle of that. It's just like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Think, man. Think. This is superficial. Truly superficial. It's the superficial sheet metal. My life wouldn't change in any way. Okay? My life wouldn't change in any way. If, if I had... If I'd had major hail damage to that, to that car, my life wouldn't have changed. It didn't cost me to get it fixed, so I didn't get it fixed, right? Wasn't that, turned out it wasn't that damaged, if you ever look at it. But uh, good news, bad news, it's not usually clean enough to where you'd notice the damage if there was damage there. But that's a, that's a different issue. That was one of these examples. That was one of these examples where, where things, I could see that things in my life were in a position they shouldn't be in. It was a, I mean, I was really fretting over that, the, that, the, the sheet metal on a truck. And, we, and again, I'm sure I'm the only one in here that's got crazy stories about liking things like that or things, oh, that, no. <laughs> things, <laughs> things that impede into our, into our lives in any way. Uh, but that, that scared me about myself because it embarrassed me. I mean, I, was, you know, I, 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 mean, I, was, I couldn't believe that I really had prayed to God. I went to God with this in that moment. I went to God with this before God opened my eyes just be like, what are, you, what are you doing? Now, I'm all for praying continually, and I don't think God punishes us, and I'm not, I'm not of the belief that I wasted two seconds of God's time with a silly prayer. I, I'm, not, I'm not worried about that. I don't think that, but it's just the folly of like, this is, this, can you, this is a thing. This doesn't even matter. Does anyone else have any other... Mine was worse. Mine was not even a paint. It was a, a bruise on the paint. So right. Sad. You flawed the car. <laughs> yeah, we do that. Yeah. Yeah, I did not have rubber blankets with me to wrap the vehicle to protect it from the, the incoming hail. The Lord could have healed it. Yeah. Okay, you know what? Now I feel better because that would have been a sillier prayer. If I if I'd asked God to heal my truck of the hail damage, I feel better. There's it could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Think too about our purchases that we make, and and again, not just for the not just for the dollar values, but because uh, you know there'll be brand names that come in vogue and go out of vogue. But uh, you can see products change over time. Uh, when I was a kid. Guess what color all barbecue grills were when I was little? Black. Because you'd be like, well, as opposed to what? Of course they were black. How many of us in here now own a stainless steel grill? Yeah. If you go into a Home Depot or a Lowe's, most of the grills are stainless steel now. But think about what happens. File away stainless steel. Now, what are most new kitchen countertops made out of? In the metro, granite. granite, of course. Okay, thirty years ago, who had granite countertops? But Queen Elizabeth? Seriously, no. I mean, I mean, I, yeah, these things didn't exist. But we have this product inflation. So not only is stuff foolish, not only is the advertising foolish, not only are things curated to make us want it more. Well, that's better. 
But, I mean, the actual products themselves inflate. We get these things, and entire businesses grow. Like, well, I've got, I've got, it's got to be, it's got to be uh, a granite. And now, am I immune? Am I saying I'm immune? No. Up until, I don't know what, a few years ago, we had Formica countertops. They were well-worn, many years old, and we now have beautiful countertops. I have to tell you, I'll be honest, I like them. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not immune. I, I didn't say, nope, we are sticking by our smudged, stained, burn-marked Formica because I refuse to go to something nicer. We've got it, and, and they're nice, and I enjoy it. I do feel a little guilty about it, but because I feel like I fed the monster, you know, with, the, with kind of the process of like, oh, man. But there's, there's those things like that. But watch for those. Watch for the trends. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's ridiculous, and we're encouraged that way. We're encouraged that way everywhere, every channel on TV, every magazine. Um, we live in a metroplex. happens to be one of the absolute worst places for stuff consumption. Um, I mean, that's, that goes back a lot of years, and it's still that way. Now, what about, what about kind of kind of ramping up just out of the out of the silly stuff to the to the things? What about the day you mentioned that you see it on TV? It's, Gee, I, I only have five hundred thousand for my second home. What about the day you hear you hear somebody, a friend of yours, telling you, and they're wanting sympathy that the new cupboards in their third house is just such a chore that they just had to manage it. And you are really supposed to feel sorry for them because they are really telling you that those cupboards, whatever this custom cupboard manufacturer was uh, that you don't know anything about, you are supposed to be like, wow, tell me more about your troubles you've had with this, with this home number three, you know, whatever it might be. Now, there, there's two aspects of this. One, if you've got the third home, I would encourage you to question how some of this stuff can look to other people. That's one piece of it internally. The second piece of that is there is an issue of things causing your brother to stumble that we can talk about. We won't get into too much about that. It's just because it's not labeled, it's not nailed down specifically in the Bible uh, exactly how we're supposed to deal with that. But it is a concept that's out there that we need to always have that in mind. Of like, So if I'm talking about this or that thing... Why would I put this or that thing above in importance, above a threshold that might make a brother stumble, that might make the brother uncomfortable, might make him jealous, um, might make him like me less? It might make them question my walk. Now, again, it's not your job to worry too much about, you know, I mean, your job is to worry about your walk, not about how others perceive your walk. But if someone might perceive it that way, maybe, maybe that would tell you, maybe I should be questioning this. In other words, I don't know what the mark is, what the thing is, but let's say, let's say Paul had, I don't know, a car, a house, or something, and this is a ridiculous example. Let's say three times in a year, a brother comes up to him and says something like, I got to let you know, I think your new Ferrari is making me stumble. Okay, if that happens three times in a year, I think there'd be a point where you'd be like, man, I don't know what's going on, but if, I may need to think about this making my brother stumble thing, whether I can, whether he can afford it, has he got it, is it this, has he, has he given 99% of his money to the church, and he's gonna, 
So even beyond that, there's a, there's a piece where you just go, okay, let me think about this, just purely from the what might be making my brother stumble, just to encourage that person to look at them, look at themselves. Now, that ties into uh, another thing I want to hit tonight on judging. It is important. We're talking about the folly of nice things. It is important that wherever, wherever we go with this stuff, all the stuff we're going to be talking about, this is all gray area stuff. In other words, we're not going to be coming up with a line in the sand that says, okay, I say that it's okay to have a house with fewer than this many square feet, but anything over that many square feet is a sin. Okay, we're not going to be going there. There is no, there is no boundaries for us. There's no numbers we'll be putting on stuff because specifically there's no numbers that I'm allowed to think about regarding you. All the numbers are a number that I think about between me and God going, okay, God, I'm thinking about this. Help me to analyze my situation. What's, what you desire for me? Is this reasonable? Is this not reasonable? In other words, uh, there's no scenario here where we're empowering each other to judge somebody else regarding any stuff, period. And the reason for that, the reason we know that's the case is these things are not specified in the Bible, they're only principled, meaning there's principles that drive these things, but there's no specifics. And so if there's no specifics on it, then I certainly am not authorized to be judging my brother for this thing. So there's no judging that's allowed, right? Now, but what am I not saying? I'm not saying you shouldn't think about these things in your own prayer life between you and God, okay, all these things, anything that's remotely, this, that, that these things remotely apply to, uh, you know, fill in the blank, big ticket items, very important. It doesn't have, big, big, have to be big ticket if it's something that you just desire so bad. Uh, anything like that can be something where you go, wow, let me think about this, God. I think I'm desiring this a little too much. So that's between you and God. But, but there's, no speci- there's no numbers specified Biblically, so there's nowhere to go judgment-wise. So first of all, because there's no numbers. What's the second reason that we know we can't go there judging somebody else on this stuff? Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't. God hasn't deemed me a judge. Okay, I don't have that in my job description. Okay, that's above my pay grade. Okay, I, do, I just don't have that regarding anything. Period. For judging, I don't. I don't have that. Uh, that's just that's just not something that I'm I've, I'm charged with. If I say that, so if I'm saying, brother, I think this for you, you'd be like, all right, well, that's uh, thanks for the feedback. <laughs> now go away. You're not allowed. You're not allowed to judge somebody uh, with that. Now, again, what I am saying is that we should examine ourselves with these things. I think all of these things we're talking about regarding stuff, Tozer has told us. This is a big, bad area. Uh, we've, we've covered that it's universal. Uh, these things, we're all in jeopardy over these things. In jeopardy at best. In jeopardy would imply that, imply that we're not already bit. So I think you can really say we're already bit. It's just a question of degree. But the stuff, the concepts we'll be talking about here are concepts about, again, about whether it's, you know, granite countertops or, or $100,000 cars, the concepts are things that, that we all need to think about regarding ourselves and our purchases 
and, and what we do with those and start with uh, start with that. Can't keep up with the you can't keep up. You can't keep up. There's always a different Jones. If you actually caught up with that Jones, new Joneses move in. Right. It gets back to the comparing. Right. Like you just have to recognize the comparing. Ask why you're comparing. Why do I live in America? Why don't I live yeah. in Somalia? Right. I'm glad you mentioned that. Just like the why we're why we're here, because that brings up. There's a tiny thread of a possible belief that even fairly solid Christians can be nipped with regarding money and ease and things like that. And that little thing, see if this rings a bell. If God has really provided really abundantly, surely that means I've got his endorsement in some sort of way. In other words... I'm blessed. <laughs> right. And that would be a blessing. And God does bless that way. God answers many prayers. Right? But you just step out of bounds just just a millimeter into thinking that I must be doing something kind of right. Now, now pride's starting to pop in a little bit. But even just the logic of that, the logic of that is extraordinarily dangerous. And the reason I mention that is, that's a, unlike some of these other things, that's a logic that we can be bitten with by a little tiny piece. Like, in other words, we, we would know better. You wouldn't say that. You know, well, gosh, uh, you know, times are tough. I must be doing something better than you. I mean, you don't verbalize that. You would know that. You'd be like, wow, I could never say that. But, uh, but like, yeah, I must, have, I, must have done, I must be doing something kind of right. Now, there's, there's several problems with that, but the quick example, since we're mentioning Tozer, if we believe that, we need to understand that what that would say was that, well, I must be doing something more right than Tozer did. You see the problem with that? Like, okay, wait a minute. This, this guy lived modestly. So if I'm, if I'm banking that God's provision, God's abundant provision, isn't just, to me, the goofball, but to me, the one who's... He really, really uh, endorses in some sort of way. Then that's taken me down a really scary path, and then that means for everyone else, like Tozer, that chooses to live a more modest lifestyle, then that would be implying that I'm more endorsed than someone like like Tozer. Which is so now you can start to see the true folly in it. Clearly, that can't be the case. But I just mentioned that since you mentioned like the why am I here? It's easy, especially I think. Um, if someone has made millions on something, it's easy. It would be really easy to be like, you know, God has blessed me. I, I am a pretty good guy. I guess maybe that's part of the reason God has blessed me. It's like, mm, man, that is, that is dangerous. Anyway, different issue there, but just wanted to mention that. Getting ready to move on to the next category. One last thing on the, the folly of things. We're trying to examine, trying to find the things that we might be prideful in. Kind of a bonus Point would be think about the things that you're ashamed of and I'm I don't know I'm wondering if the things that we have are possessions that bring us a little bit of shame like oh man part of our house still has 1971 linoleum in it like for real okay like well I kind of don't like it. I'd like to get that changed I'm wonder if the things that we are a little bit ashamed of are the thing we'll be prideful of as soon as we can get the cash. See what I mean? 
In other words, the things we're ashamed of might be the prideful things on deck. Right? They're the prideful things I'm not prideful of yet, but I'm on deck. They're on deck for me to be the thing I'm prideful of as soon as I replace that linoleum with something really nice. You see that? So I'm just so when we're when we're sorting through our, our thoughts about what are the things that I might be prideful of, I want category wise, you might be want to think about what are the things I'm ashamed of, and maybe that will kind of point me in the uh, point me in the right direction. All right, let's move up to the uh, Sources of reliance, the reliance on things. Now, at this point, there's a, uh, we're talking about gray areas a lot. This is probably the absolute grayest. Well, you need to save some money. I mean, saving money, saving money is reasonable. You got to save some money. You got to prepare for the future. The future's coming. You got to prepare for it. Um, so, this is the most gray of all areas of, well, what's, what's reasonable for me to have in my 401k? What's reasonable? What's a reasonable pension? Uh, you know, what are the, what are the, all my other investments and things that someone may have? Um, what are reasonable numbers for these things? The, um, we, uh, of, of all the areas that are the least tempting to even try to define would be this. I don't know. I've heard pastors, uh, mention it in terms of how many years of retirement funds maybe you already have in the bank and questioning, well, how many years are you wanting to have in the bank? I mean, what are you, what are you saving it for? I think for studying our, our, our reliance on these, I mentioned it earlier, I think if you're praying about it, or even just this, this applies even just thinking about our reliance on things, think of the things you're the most terrified to lose, whether if it's a pension, retirement, whatever it would be. Again, that gets back to the logic of like, well, sure, I'd be terrified. I'd have, I'd have, I'd have nothing or something. Okay, yeah, I get that. But there's still an aspect of, of analysis here, self-analysis for everyone about what's, what's the right amount, what's, how much should I be prepared for. The analogy here would be, um, this is going to sound like a silly analogy, but think about the, uh, what do they call them, the preppers now? They used to call them survivalists. They used to call them, now they call them preppers. The, uh, if a neighbor of yours... So I used to live in California, and in California, you had three to five days of emergency food and water at all time. You just did because you're in California, uh, and you better be, be prepared for at least a mild earthquake. So that was a really reasonable thing to do. So we're here. Uh, so if your neighbor comes to you and says, wow, you know what? We, have, we always have seven days of emergency food and water. Now, did, would you say, wow, you are over-preparing? That's... You are too concerned about the future. As a Christian, would you say, you shouldn't prepare for disaster? The Bible says don't prepare for disaster. Or would you say, I don't know, seven days, food and water? That seems like a reasonable, I don't know, that's okay. Now, imagine instead, on the kind of the prepper side, imagine instead the same guy comes to you and says, yep, um, I upgraded this week. I used to have seven days, food and water. Now I have seven days, food and water, plus 20,000 rounds of ammo. Like... Okay, wait a minute. Exactly what are you preparing for here? So that's not, not quite the same thing, but I mean, it's, just, it's the same issue of, the same issue comes to hand of what's reasonable preparations for retirement in this case, what's reasonable preparations for just money down the road uh, versus what's going somewhere over, over an imaginary line into something that's a little bit, little bit too much. The, uh, that's kind of the issue at hand. I don't even know. I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to start the discussion on that. That to me, that is so much of a solo issue. Meaning, just everyone 
everyone just praying about it. It's amazing the things that, uh, uh, the levels of fear that can uh, infest us. And like I say, I'm, I'm one of the worst. This can get any of us. Just pray about this, this particular category. Just pray about it. Um, I don't even know. I wouldn't even know where to go with, uh, with putting numbers on something. There's an amount, back to Jim's point, that was the pastor's point that he saw. If, if your goal is to get to a retirement where you get to do nothing for, God willing, 20, 25 years of your life, doing absolutely nothing except you know, traveling the world frequently and living the best life, uh, as that pastor would have said, that's not what you're called for. No one is called to that. That's just not, that's not even healthy. You shouldn't even desire that. Um, to be that useless, the uselessness of it. I'm not talking about the luxury of it. I'm talking about the uselessness of that uh, to God. That is, uh, uh, that is not something uh, I think any, any of us are, uh, would be called to. All right, now the last category here, things as self-image. Now, so we've just gone past. It, this can still be stuff, but it can be stuff and a lot more. But it's the stuff where I don't just like my car. Picture... Um, Picture if I had a, I'm going to name a brand name because I don't, I don't think any of us here are in jeopardy of, of getting one of these. Um, picture a Bentley. Picture if I had a Bentley. So not just a nice car, not, 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 a, not a BMW or Mercedes, a Bentley. And everybody, and it was brand new, and everybody around knew that this car cost this ridiculous amount of money. Okay, first of all, let's just assume I have pride in this car. In other words, I'm, I'm already wrong off the first step. I have pride in this car. Yep, I like it. Yep, down deep, I think I'm just a little bit better uh, than you because I got it. Now, where I'm talking about the self-identity is think about how easy things like that, they expand beyond this nice thing in my to me to where they end up defining me. I see myself as Bentley guy, right? I am Bentley guy. I probably got a Bentley $5,000 watch to match my Bentley car. So in case I'm not in the car, you know, right? Right? Now, do you see that? Do you see that? Now, so when, uh, when we have a chat about something, Robert, we're chatting and you're asking me something. And, and I look at you and I make a recommendation. And I know that whatever I say, I'm saying as Bentley guy now because I have more credibility than I would if I was just me. Do you see that? Do you see how those things, do you see how pervasive that is? This is foul stuff. This is foul stuff. So it's, it's, it's fouler than just the pride in it. It's that I have now redefined God created me and made me who I am, and I am redefining that person based on things. Worse, I see myself as better because of the things. That thing makes me better in my mind, whether I even acknowledge it or not, whether I just think I see that, right? So in other words... Uh, now, the Bentley is the silly example, but think about how these things happen, happen at, a, at a lower level. They can happen with a, a, lot of, uh, a lot of different things. Let's go look at Philippians 3. Phew, finally, back to the Bible, huh? Philippians 3, no confidence in the flesh. This is Paul. I'll, I'll start in uh, verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, whose glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Paul lists his reasons here. 
If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a people of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the greatness, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. What are these items that Paul, Paul's being sarcastic here. I mean, you know, right? I mean, so he's not really, he does, he's not holding these things. He's showing out the things that logically, he, if old man Paul, Saul, would have pride in, he has more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. What's he talking about there? And his genetic lineage. Cream of the crop. He's the cream of the crop. His lineage and his pedigree. I think in regards to the law of Pharisee, well, there's your pedigree. So I've got good genes. I've got good education. As for zeal, persecuting the church. You're hardworking in a really bad sort of way. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. In other words, I think what he means here is, as for righteousness under his old understanding of righteousness, he was faultless. He hasn't mentioned a single item. He didn't mention his watch or his car or his shirt. None of those were brands. Okay, But this was his old identity. He gives us a great example here of the things that can pop in to be our identity. Sure, he's talking about his religious heritage there but how does that sound like I've, I've never known these people um i've never known someone personally but like I, I was reading somebody's bio recently on like wikipedia the great theology source wikipedia and it mentioned this person went to uh i'll just say a um oh, what's the word ivy league uh, went to an ivy league school which is fine they parent went to the same Ivy League school. Their grandfather went to the same Ivy League school and their great-grandfather. And I was like, I don't know. I can't imagine. I mean, like, my gosh, you, your family has been rich for a long time, right? I mean, and I, I'm not judging that negatively. That's just like, wow, I don't know. What, like, that's amazing. Like in like the mid-1800s or something, you know, somebody's already in, in uh, you know, one of your lineages in college and everybody goes there. Now, here's where I'm going. Not ripping on that. My point is, do you think that person would sound like Paul? Would they have pride in their lineage? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right? If I was that, if I was the current kid, I'd be thinking that was pretty cool. I'd be telling you all about it. And, and I, would, I would think I was blessed I would think I'm not being prideful. Uh, however, I'm just—I uh, happen to be of really good lineage, and even my great grandfather went to this amazing school. So Paul's not doing anything different than people would do today if they—if they really had that lineage. So in other words, it's not that unique just to that time setting. People are like, yeah, yeah, my lineage. His education. You ever know anyone that's prideful about their education? Well, did I tell you where I went to school? So yeah, no, the—I uh, uh, get it. I get it. That can happen, you know. 
Um, after class, I can tell you about all the things that have come out of my, uh, my college, not just my university, but my college of engineering. And it's, it's impressive. I, would be, I might be one of the least, least impressive graduates, I'm not sure, but, uh, uh, but I mean, just I, I, I get that. I, I came out of that system. Uh, I get how somebody gets that way. These are not the things that, uh, uh, that we're to be proud about. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting that Paul himself provides an example of our self-identity, of things becoming our self-identity. Our self uh, conveniently, he clarifies that that's, that's old Paul. Um, we bump into a few things. Yeah, oh, yes, thank you. When he says rubbish, does he mean rubbish? He didn't say rubbish. He said worse. Okay. He said the net, well, the net Bible translation will tell you that he means dung, except the net goes one better, and they say that he's using the vulgar word for dung at the time. Okay, so he's not he's not saying it like in the polite way. He's saying these things are this, right? That's what he meant. Now, there's other variations of that. We, we can talk about the dung coat in Zechariah, and we will probably next week. This example he's given is very visual, and it's also not unique. I mean, this is, this is something that comes up uh, regarding our old self. Now, along those lines, here's a quick side point. A lot of people take this passage, especially when they understand what he's saying, the vulgar word for dung, they take that as meaning... All of Paul's past sins, his icky sin from when he was lost, his, all of his sinful old ways, these are the things that are the, the, the icky dung. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is these things, these self-identity things that a lot of people would be prideful about, but they would have taken them over as their self-identity. That's the things he's calling dung. We've got Paul helping us with this. Now, two quick Tozer notes. Well, one quick Tozer note and a long Tozer note. First quick Tozer note is this chapter. I looked through it this afternoon. Something struck me today. This whole chapter, pursuit of nothingness, the tyranny of things, all these things, there's a word missing from this entire chapter as far as I can tell. I don't think the word pride is in this entire chapter. Okay. And I want to plant that seed because I think that captures very well what's really going on. Again, he calls it the tyranny of things. I think pride is one of these. If, pride's a real thing. Pride's bad. But I, I think it's too easy for us to say, I don't have a problem with pride. It's easy for me to convince myself I don't have a problem with pride. You say, but how are you doing on things? Things, things i got a problem with. Right? The three different categories of thing problems. Oh, yeah, i got them all. But pride, oh no, pride, pride got out of control. I think it's interesting, Tozer doesn't use, I don't think once, but if it, maybe it snuck by me. But point is, he's not discussing this, thinking of it as a pride issue. It's a thing issue. That's the first, first point from Tozer. So this is the, that's the short point from Tozer. The long point from Tozer is Tozer has one example out of all these different categories I didn't mention that Tozer said he had a neighbor with a fancy car. Nope, he didn't mention cars. He didn't mention boats. He didn't mention this or this. He hasn't mentioned anything specifically. Tozer 
has one example of a problem with things, a real problem with things. Has anyone read ahead? Anyone know it? Know where we're going? Abraham and Isaac. Okay? And and Tozer gives it a lot of time. The um, I'll read through. It's, a, it's two pages in here. I'll read through it, kind of skipping as much as I can and keep the story kind of flowing. As is frequently true. So, again, again, don't forget now what we're doing. I gave you the Tozer ramp up. The beginning of this... Everything in this book ramps up to to this section on things, the tyranny of things. That's what this is about. In the section on tyranny of things, he has one specific example that he goes batters up on, one specific thing that he hits, and this is the story of that. As is frequently true, this New Testament principle of spiritual life finds its best illustration in the Old Testament. In the story of Abraham and Isaac, we have a dramatic picture of the surrendered life as well as an excellent commentary on the first beatitude. Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough indeed to have been his grandfather, and the child became at once the delight and the idol of his heart. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. Back to our uh, idol word. From that moment when he first stooped to take the tiny form awkwardly in his arms, he was an eager love slave of his son. Okay. So every sentence has this nice rhythm followed by a really ugly word at the end. Idol, love slave. Like, God went out of his way to comment on the strength of this affection, and it is not hard to understand. The baby represented everything sacred to his father's heart, the promises of God, the covenants, the hopes of the years, and the long messianic dream. As he watched him grow from babyhood to young manhood, the heart of the old man was knit closer and closer with the life of his son, till at last the relationship bordered upon the perilous. It was then that God stepped in to save both father and son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. Like, uncleansed love? Like... Now he tells us the story. Take, that, take now thy son, God said to Abraham, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. The sacred writer spares us a close-up of the agony that night on the slopes near Beersheba when the aged man headed out with his God. But respectful imagination may view in awe the bent form and the convulsive wrestling alone under the stars. Possibly not again until a greater than Abraham wrestled in the Garden of Gethsemane did such mortal pain visit a human soul. If only the man himself might have been allowed to die, that would have been easier a thousand times, for Abraham was old now, and to die would have been no great ordeal for the one who had walked so long with God. Besides, it would have been the last sweet pleasure to let his dimming vision rest upon the figure of his stalwart son who would live to carry on the Abrahamic line and fulfill him in himself the promises of God made long before. How should he slay the lad? If he did, how would he reconcile the act with the promise, In Isaac shall thy seed be called? This was Abraham's trial by fire, and he did not fail. He had made up his mind. He would offer his son as God had directed him to do and then trust God to raise him from the dead. This, says the writer, to the Hebrews was the solution. His aching heart found some time in the night and he rose early in the morning to carry out his plan. Skipping down. God let the suffering old man go through with it up to the point where he knew there would be no retreat and then forbade him to lay a hand on the boy. To the wondering patriarch, he now says, in effect, he, capital H, God, now says, in effect, it's all right, Abraham, 
I never intended that you should actually slay the lad. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. Okay? I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. This is uh, uh, Genesis 22, by the way. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. that. That I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy sounding well. Take him and go back to your tent. Now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So this is about he had withheld him from God. Now, you're going to have to get somebody with a, with a higher pay grade than mine to, to give you the, what does that mean, withheld? I don't know. I know, what it, I know the neighborhood that it's in. It's something he, he, he loved him too much. It's something maybe he had the fleeting thought of maybe God had planted a, a bug that someday, Abraham, I, will, I, will, I want you to give me Isaac. And maybe his thought was, no. Do you see that? This is a guy, this guy walked closely with, with God. I mean, that would be withholding. Was, did he withhold him in a different way? Did God say, let's uh, send him to a far land and you'll see him in 50 years? And he said, no. I don't know. I don't know what the withholding was. Uh, we don't know. I don't think we're going to have real specifics on that. But he withheld him in some way, uh, some material way, and, and God called him on it. Maybe he thought that Isaac was the one thing he couldn't live without. Right. And God said, that's what I want. There can't be anything you can't live without. That gets back to our, rel- our reliance part of that, uh, it, the self-identity part of it. Um, it's anything that we're withholding. The, um, I think what it does show is that we can withhold things from God that God may not have asked us explicitly for. In other words, God knows our heart. So God gets to know the things that even if we haven't been asked for them, the tests we would fail. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so, so it doesn't even have to mean that he was given a specific test, that he failed a specific test. It could just, God just knows his heart, knows that you're, you're hanging on to this. This is God we're talking about, right? So we don't have to like be able to like back, like God says he was withholding them, he was withholding them. End of story. How? Now we can, we can ponder but he was with he was withholding him, right? Because we can do that, especially with kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's, you know, I'm bright. Oh, but my child is the smartest person ever lived. Given those promises, who's going to raise their hand and say that if you'd had a child of yours under the conditions that Abraham had Isaac, that you wouldn't have raised that kid to be on a pedestal as like, right? right? How? I mean, of course. So I hadn't thought about that, but just you've got me thinking. That's, that would be the, the pedestal. He could have put Isaac on a pedestal. It's almost like reverse pride. It wouldn't have been in Isaac's pride, but it would have been, I mean, it wouldn't have been Abraham's pride in Isaac, but it would have been just pride of like, Isaac is, I mean, Isaac is amazing. Not even thinking like, I'm cool because I'm his dad, but like, wow, you know, just this, I have put this thing on such a pedestal. Yeah. And you could, I mean, Again, you talk about a position that would be hard to judge. Who in here can judge Abraham? Because who in here has gone through anything like what he has gone through with Isaac? I mean, that just be, it, it almost seems like it almost makes perfect sense. Well, of course, you would have 
put him on a pedestal. Of course you would have. I mean, he was, he was God's answer. Now, the unique circumstances of the Abraham-Isaac relationship really help us to understand some things about possessing. And that's what I want to go through uh, right here. Do you think Abraham was grateful for Isaac? Sure. Right? Yeah. In spades. Do you think Abraham knew who provided Isaac? Absolutely. Do you think he was proud of him as his own personal achievement? No. I don't think so. Because he would know so clearly who provided him. It couldn't have been more clear. Yeah. So what is he doing as Tozer's number one example of the train jump on the track regarding possession of things? This is, this is, he was grateful, he knew God provided him, and he wouldn't have considered him his own personal achievement. That is what makes this a fascinating nugget to study about possession, possession of things. So here, I, got, I made a list of things we now know. Things we now know, in other words, about how we can be in, in a bad spot when we are doing something dangerous regarding the way we, we possess something. The, the thing being clearly a good thing doesn't matter. Right? This is a, this is, we're talking about Isaac. We're talking about a son, not just a son. A son that's an answer to prayer. I mean, even more than an answer to prayer. This was God showing up. This is class A miracle. See the Bible right here. Right? Class A miracle. I'm sorry, do you have any more questions about Isaac? Right? I mean... Second thing we know, knowing something is from God doesn't matter. It can still be a serious, serious problem. Something else that doesn't matter. Thanking God for something doesn't matter. I don't mean that. It sounds like thanking God doesn't matter. What I mean is, when, if it's something we're giving thanks for, doesn't mean that thing is exempt from being a danger. Being grateful to God for something doesn't matter. Again, still a danger. Having a godly desire for something doesn't matter. In other words, was it, a, was it a bad desire when he was desiring to have Isaac? No. Having God acknowledge it's a godly desire doesn't matter. It still went awry, right? Even knowing it's a miraculous gift straight from God answering many prayers, a class A miracle from God, acknowledged by God, didn't mean it wasn't a dangerous thing. It was still... It was still a, he still had a problem with that possession. It was still a very, very dangerous thing that God had to, had to fix to keep Abraham. So what's the, uh, what's the takeaway lesson? Our capacity to screw things up is limitless. Okay? Really. This is so big. We're not talking about funny, funny expensive car stories. We're not talking about folly... Silly watches you can't read in the dark stories. Okay, I mean, this is the big stuff. This is Abraham and Isaac. This is a gift from God that a man received the gift from God, knows it's from God, class A miracle, whatever you want to call it. And the man still screwed it up. Okay, He made it too important. It, it meant too much. It was a, a warped love. What did, uh, what did Tozer call it? 
until the relationship bordered upon the perilous. So it makes a really interesting example. And uh, Joy, thanks for bringing that up. I just thought the, uh, because that's the, that's the one thing, um, uh, the one example in here that Tozer talks about. So we're not just talking about bad things. In other words, silly cars. You know, gee, I decided to bring a helicopter to church next week just to show you that I'm cool, right? The, uh, no, we're not talking about silly things. We're not even just talking about earthly things. Isaac's not an earthly thing. We're not talking about man-made things. Man-made things. We're not just talking about acquired things. We're not just talking about the greedy, gluttonous, over-the-top, that's ridiculous sort of things. And we're not just talking about ungodly desires. In other words, greed, power, even the comparisons. We're not even talking about that. This was this was an this was answered prayer. This was a miracle from God, and a man took it and and warped it into something that's uh, really not healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, like, and that man's Abraham. Right. Good point. I'm not sure I want to compare uh, <laughs> compare myself to uh, to, to Abraham. I think that wraps up the stuff, just the raw stuff, the first thing through. We're going we're gonna to go back and highlight a couple of things. Um, I take these categories, like I think I mentioned it earlier, in easy, medium, and hard. And that's almost tongue-in-cheek. So easy being the pride of just the things themselves, the first thing. Medium, curing our reliance on things our dependence there, and hard, the things that have become our, our self-identity. It's almost tongue-in-cheek because the things themselves is not remotely easy. But I do think it's step one, meaning I think that's, I think that's the step we've got to cut our teeth on uh, and figure out how we do this stuff and acknowledge these things. I think that's, I think that's the order of what we need, we need to do on this. I heard... Years ago, I was at a church where the staff there uh, fasted real regularly. And somebody told me something regarding fasting I thought was interesting. The, uh, this isn't that theologically deep, but I thought just practically it was interesting. I think it's kind of related to this. concept was that fasting for a day was a way we would test ourselves to, to who was really in control of our bodies. Uh, and the point was, if you can't control your arms from feeding your face for 24 hours, you got a lot bigger problems coming down the road. In other words, um, sexual sin. If you can't keep food out of your mouth, then this person's probably going to have sexual sin in, in spades. Uh, if you can't keep from feeding yourself for a day, uh, then these other areas of denying self that are coming up are probably going to be be a real a real challenge. And I thought that was interesting. I remember I remember kind of agreeing with that. Like, yeah. So almost back to the analogy of Paul and let's practice practice like an athlete. Let's practice um, fasting. I don't fast that regularly anymore, so I don't I don't, uh, I don't mean to lift that up. But I I see this. I see the pride in things as analogous to that. That's the thing. We figure out. That's step one. Let's practice. If I can reduce my pride in clothes 
or I guess I, I'm picking something I haven't been bitten with, so I guess it'd be nicer to pick something I've been bitten with. But the, uh, but if, if I can't fix that, then that tells me I got a lot of work to do. But if I can fix that, then it's onward, onward. Here we go. Now I get to think about this differently. I get to think about that differently. And that's I think that's part of our call. Um, we didn't mention this talking about our call, but the, I didn't mention it specifically. But I do see our call as unending. And what I mean is we are just to be more refined all the time, that you never graduate. Well, I mean, until you graduate, <laughs> right? Until it's promotion day, all right? There is, no, there is no being done. No one ever finishes like, wow, I knew you could do it. You have now achieved earthly perfection, John. Congratulations. No, that doesn't, that, that's not how it goes. There, our eyes are always being open. We see things differently. We grow all the time. There's, I, I, I don't see that as even... Um, something to aspire to, and I'll put an asterisk on that. What I mean is, because I don't, I don't see that as a feasible thing. I don't see that as a real thing. I see that we want to be closer to God every day. We want to be more like Jesus all the time. But I don't see that there is a finish line before promotion day, if that makes, uh, if that makes sense. So here's uh, some things to pray about. Just ask God to show you. Ask God to show you whenever you compare yourself to others, all the ways you compare yourself to others, why you compare yourself to others, and anything you have now that may make a brother stumble.